last August and September, Mike spoke from the book of Ecclesiastes. And it was a four-part series called The Aspects of Life. And how many of you have been on our website the last couple of months to see what's on there? If you just raise your hands. There's been a number of you. Uh, if you surf the uh, website, you'll see that there's a lot of excellent uh, teaching resources on there. And, of course, uh, I'll be speaking today from the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you have any questions, uh, it'd probably be a good idea to refer to Mike's teaching. No, just, just kidding. But two of his messages are uh, on the website, so it is a, a good resource, and uh, there's a lot of other teaching on there, and, and uh, make sure you take advantage of uh, what we have uh, on that. And Eric, do you have any idea how many hits we've had on the website? Can you tell? Okay, great. Well, several months ago, uh, Jamie and myself attended a funeral in a small town. And the pastor who gave the message was even from a smaller town. And he spoke from the uh, book of Ecclesiastes. And we went down a long, winding road that was uh, somewhat confusing. And I know when we left there, uh, there had to be non-believers and probably Christians alike who uh, really went away somewhat confused. And so from that, I started in uh, studying in the book of Ecclesiastes. And when I found out that I was going to teach today, I thought that would be a, a good book to uh, teach from. And as you know, Ecclesiastes is one of the hardest books in the Bible to understand. Uh, a lot of skeptics and uh, even atheists will take certain scripture uh, from that book for uh, whatever ends they may have. And, of course, we know that you can't do that. You have to read the entire book to have a full understanding of Ecclesiastes, all, all 12 chapters. So what I would like to do, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me, if you have them, to the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Well, what is vanity? Well, vanity in, in scripture means uh, emptiness, uh, futile, uh, meaningless, meaningless, meaninglessness, I can't even speak this morning. Uh, and in verse 3, what advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place it rises there again, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. 
and that which has been done is that which will be done, so there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See, this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realized that this also is striving after the wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Now, most scholars believe that Solomon didn't write the book of Ecclesiastes, but he is the central figure in this book. And Scripture tells us that the Lord loved Solomon, and that Solomon appeared, uh, that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And so let's turn to uh, 1 Kings 3, verse 10 through 14, and it says, And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. And behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. And I'll read verse 14 again. And if you walk in my ways keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Now, from Scripture we know Solomon was one of the, uh, the wisest men in the world, for he was wiser than all men. Now, if you turn to 1 Kings 4, verse 29, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment, and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. And the first part of verse 31 reads, For he was wiser than all men. And in verse 32, Scripture says, He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And in verse 34, and men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth, 
who had heard his wisdom. Now, as Scripture says, Solomon was blessed with honor and riches. And Solomon had a lot of other things. He had power. He had the power of a king. We all have power, but when you're, you're the king, you have the power, absolute power, the power of life and death. And, of course, what a, what a great pedigree. You know, he was a king, the son of a king. He had talent. And, of course, he was honored with riches. He had a lot of possessions. He had 40,000 horses, 12,000 horsemen. And I just want two horses when I retire. <laughs> but during his lifetime, he married Pharaoh's daughter, plus approximately 700 other wives and concubines. And I have found that one wife is sufficient <laughs> for me. Works quite well. But Solomon had uh, every earthly possession a human could desire. And it said that Solomon lived bigger than life itself. His might and his greatness and dominion impressed the entire world. Now, Solomon did a lot of good things. He rebuilt Jerusalem with new city streets, uh, public buildings, new walls. Uh, he built a temple that God designed himself. Uh, he built a palace that took 13 years uh, to build. But reading the entire book of Ecclesiastes, you can tell that Solomon's life was a journey of excesses, and excesses of pleasure, alcohol, great achievement. And one of his main interests was women. And Solomon's faith was eroded by the influence of the religions of some of these foreign wives. But we know from reading scripture that the writing he left behind in this book is a wealth of wisdom and truth. And it's spoken from someone who investigated all these different beliefs and who experienced all these different carnal pleasures. And in the end, he found everything lacking. Now, although he accomplished much in a material sense, what he did was he let, way, uh, he let go the way of God. And he pursued these different ends, and that's what caused strife for his nation and for himself. Now, Solomon is uh, obviously uh, a man who sought God's will. He asked God for wisdom to lead his people instead of asking for material gain. He was the man who wrote the book, most of the Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs. But during his life, and as you read in Scripture, you can tell he took his eyes off of God. And he was examining the mysteries of life. And is that all there is to life? Now in Matthew 14, verses 26 through 29... If you read the scripture, you can see Peter getting out of the boat, and he's focusing his eyes on Jesus, walking towards Jesus. Then all of a sudden he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and what happens? He starts to sink. And that's what we do in our daily lives quite often. Instead of seeking God's will on a daily basis, we'll very often take our eyes off God, what, has, what he has in store for us. 
and then we begin to sink in our own lives. Now, it's important that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying here today. It's important that we all go out and work our hardest uh, to have goals, to earn money for our families. But sometimes there comes a point in time when we're not doing God's will in our daily life. We very often fall back on our own selfish purposes and go down that road instead of seeking His will. Now, there's a lot of people who are Christians who will think, well, if I, uh, if I just had more money or if I had more of this or more of that. And so sometimes they'll pray for these things. And instead of seeking God's will for their life, you can see what happens. Seeking God's will is the only way that you'll have peace and fulfillment in your life. Now, we can tell by reading uh, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes that Solomon finally came to realize how much time he'd wasted during his life and that seeking God is the only way to have a fruitful life. Now, when I was uh, in my early teens, I spent, I think I've told a lot of you this, I've spent a lot of time on the farm, especially in the summertime. And my cousin would be there also. We'd work on the farm. But at night, one of our favorite things to do was listen to KOMA radio station out of Oklahoma City or WLS out of Chicago. And they were stations that would just boom through the night. I mean, they would drown everything else out. Today, you can't hear those stations because they've been reduced in signal strength. But at the time, they were the most powerful stations around. And, and they played the latest music, and kids just went wild. And I enjoyed every night listening to Battle of the Bands. And it'd be the Beatles against the Beach Boys. And then it'd be the Beatles against the Monkees. Or the Beatles against Elvis. It was always the Beatles who were always winning. It always upset me. But people would call in, and, and that's how they determined who would win. And I guess that's how I decided I liked music. And so in 1969, when I was 17 years old, I got what I thought was the greatest job in the world. I was hired as a radio announcer for KNCK Radio in Concordia, Kansas. The voice of North Central Kansas. <laughs> 1390 on your radio dial. And KNCK was a sunrise sunset station. That meant that the station came on at sunrise and then it went off at sunset. And so you did everything a small town radio station could do if you worked there. I was a radio announcer, I was a disc jockey, I was the head custodian. And so I really enjoyed learning uh, the business of, of working at the radio station. In fact, I was offered an, another job at KMAN Radio, which is still located in Manhattan, but I didn't go down that road. But anyhow, we had different segments that we played music, and one was, uh, if I recall, uh, Walk Down Memory Lane, where we played music of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So we'd play Frank Sinatra, Jack Jones, or Andre Costellanos, and, you know, a lot of instrumental music too and so I, I really enjoyed that and it's different than it is today where you grab CDs 
We had LPs on the wall, just hundreds all against the wall that you'd grab an LP, you'd put it on the turntable and you'd put it on the song that you wanted and cue it up, and then you'd turn it on and that's how it worked back then. It, it's totally different today with, with uh, CDs and the electronics that uh, stations have today. And I had my own country and western show for a couple hours during the week and I really enjoyed country and western music. Now I'm sick of it, but I, I've gone to better things in my life, music-wise. But I remember one of the songs that we played back in 1969 was a huge hit, and it was a song called, Is That All There Is?, and it was by Peggy Lee. And if any of you know anything about Peggy Lee, she was born in 1920 in Jamestown, North Dakota, and her mother died at when she was four, Peggy Lee's mother died when she was four, and for the next 11 years she spent time with a stepmother that was very abusive, very abusive. Well Peggy Lee had four different marriages all ending in divorce and near the end of her life she went through a lot of health problems. But her music career was very successful, had a lot of hit songs, won a Grammy, she was also an actress, and she was in a uh, movie, and I can't think of the name of it, but it won an Academy Award. And so, so she had dozens of songs that were on the top of the adult contemporary charts. And this song that she had called Is That All There Is was on there for 12 consecutive weeks, and I'd like to read the lyrics to you. And this song is, is a very sad song and it's very melancholy and I downloaded it here about a week ago and my kids were driving me crazy. I wanted to play the song so you could hear it but they said, no, you can't play it. <laughs> so I said, okay. What I'll do is I'll just uh, read the lyrics or most of them anyway. But here are the lyrics to the song. I remember when I was a very little girl our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced through the burning building out to the pavement. I stood there shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was over, I said to myself, Is that all there is to a fire? Now the refrain goes, Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. And when I was 12 years old, my father took me to the circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears, and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And as I sat there watching the marvelous spectacle, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a circus? Then I fell in love with the most wonderful boy in the world. We would take long walks by the river or just sit for hours gazing into each other's eyes. We were so very much in love. And then one day he went away and I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. I know that you must be saying to yourself, 
if that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh no, not me. I'm in no hurry for that final disappointment. For I know, just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing, let's break out the booze, and have a ball, if that's all there is. Now, you can see a lot of this in, in Solomon during his life, enjoying the excesses and successes of what he thought was a successful life, but yet not having the fulfillment and the peace that comes with a daily walk with Christ. Now, most of us know this. We know what it takes to have a successful life. But do we live it day to day? So often we make Jesus what we want Him to be. And we've forgotten how to respond to the Son of the living God. What I'd like to do now is, is read something from a book called God Came Near and it's by Max Lucado. Joseph was perched firmly on his branch in the tree. It was thick, reliable, and perfect for sitting. It was so strong that he didn't tremble when the storms came, nor did he shake when the winds blew. No, this branch was predictable and solid, and Joseph had no intention of leaving it. That is, until he was told to go out on a limb. As he sat securely on the branch, he looked up at the limb God wanted him to climb. He'd never seen one so thin. That's no place for a man to go, he said to himself. There's no place to sit. There's no protection from the weather. And how could you keep dangling from a quivering twig? He inched back a bit, leaned against the trunk, and pondered the situation. Common sense told him not to go out on the limb. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, come on. Self-defense told him not to do it. Who will believe me? What will our families think? Convenience told him not to do it. Just when I was hoping to settle down and raise a family, pride told him not to do it. If she ex expects me to buy a tail like that. But God had told him to do it. And that's what bothered him. It bothered him because he was happy where he was. Life next to the trunk was good. His branch was big enough to allow him to sit in comfort. He was near scores of other branch sitters and made some valid contributions to the tree community. After all, didn't he make regular visits to the sick at the North Branch Medical Center? And wasn't he the best tenor in the Treatum Singers Chorale? And what about the class he taught on religious heritage, appropriately entitled Our Family Tree? Surely God wouldn't want him to leave. He had, well, you could say he had roots there. Besides, he knew the kind of fellow who goes out on a limb radical, extremist, liberal, 
always going overboard, always stirring the leaves, guys with their heads full of strange ideas in search of foreign fruit. Why? The stable ones are the ones who know how to stay close to home and leave well enough alone. I have a feeling some of you can relate to Joseph. You know how he feels, don't you? You've been there. You're smiling because you too have been called to go out on a limb a time or two. You know the imbalance that comes from having one foot in your will and one foot in his. You too have sunk your fingernails into a bark to get a better grip. You know too well the butterflies that swarm in the pit of your stomach when you realize changes are in the air. Now, regardless of the nature of the call, the consequences are still the same. Civil war. Though your heart may say yes, your feet say no. Excuses blow as numerously as golden leaves in an autumn wind. That's not my talent. It's time for someone else to take charge. Not now. I'll get to it tomorrow. But eventually you're left staring at a bare tree and a hard choice, his will or yours. Joseph chose his. After all, it was really the only option. Joseph knew that the only thing worse than a venture into the unknown was the thought of denying his master. So resolute, he grasped the smaller limb. With tight lips and a determined glint in his eye, he placed one hand in front of the other until he dangled in the air with only his faith in God as a safety net. As things turned out, Joseph's fears were justified. Life wasn't as comfortable as it had been. The limb he grasped was indeed a slender one. The Messiah was to be born to Mary and to be raised in his home. He took cold showers for nine months so the baby could be born of a virgin. He had to push away the sheep and clear out the cow patties so his wife would have a place to give birth. He became a fugitive of the law. He spent two years trying to understand Egyptian. At times that limb must have bounced furiously in the wind, but Joseph shut his eyes and held on. But you can be sure of one thing. He never regretted it. Sweet was the reward for his courage. One look in the face of that heavenly toddler, and he knew he would do it again in a heartbeat. Have you been called to go out on a limb for God? You can bet it won't be easy. Limb climbing has never been easy. Ask Joseph, or better yet, ask Jesus. He knows better than anyone the cost of hanging on a tree. Now, I guess to close, I would just like to say, so often we seek our own will. You can be a Christian and seek your own will, seek your own ways, but is that the way God wants you to go? It's only through seeking what His will is that we'll have peace and fulfillment in our life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, like Solomon, uh, Lord, uh, a man with so much wisdom, but a man that struggled in his life.
with so many problems. And near the end, he found the answer. And Lord, we know what the answer is. And that is our daily walk with you and our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.